Welcome to Season 3 of The Commons, a podcast featuring researchers, innovators, artists, entrepreneurs, and community builders who are improving the human condition in your own backyard and around the globe. I'm your host, Tom Osha. If you've listened to any episode of this podcast, you do know we focus a lot on innovation districts, the spatial geographies where talent and ideas come to cluster and connect. The Association of University Research Parks is a member-driven organization, and it counts among its membership research parks and innovation districts across the globe who have as their anchor research universities and academic medical centers. This robust organization of several hundred districts comes together once a year in a different city around the world to exchange ideas and best practices in the industry. This year, they're in Toronto, Canada for the 2022 International Conference. They were kind enough to invite the Commons to come and speak with some of their members. So our first episodes of Season 3 will be interviews with park leaders from around the world. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Commons. I'm Tom Osha, and as you can hear, we are coming to you live again from the AURP International Conference in Toronto, Canada. With me this morning is David Adams. He is the Commissioner of Workforce Development for the state of Indiana, but was formerly, uh, as of last week, was the Chief Innovation Officer at the University of Cincinnati. So, well-equipped to talk about uh, both worlds, innovation Absolutely. and workforce. The two elements, really. Good to be with you, Tom. It's good to have you, David. Thank you so much for, for coming here. And why don't we start with what really does combine innovation, which is the availability of talent. And so what you're really going off to do are bold things around helping an entire state with the talent strategy, right? Yep. It's all about talent. And, you know, what's different today than, let's say, 50, 60 years ago is that the economic driver that is driving our economy today is talent. And that talent can live wherever they want. And so maintaining that talent to be able to grow, attract, and retain talent in a community or in a state mm-hmm. becomes really, really important. We're also being faced with the fact that every organization independent of industry is being digitally transformed. So the talent requirements are very different today than they were even five or 10 years ago. So part of this is how do we rewire individuals to actually have the knowledge, skills, and ability that are needed in today's economy. And as part of that, that means we need to listen intently to the needs of employers and then really start to match individuals and help them get the knowledge, skills, and abilities because it may not be readily available. You know, these things are changing so quickly that the days when HR might look at a resume and say, I'm looking for exactly these skills, they may not exist. And so now employers may have to have a different tact where they look at an individual who has the right characteristics, may need, need, may need to make investments, though, to help them get the knowledge, skills, and abilities they need in order to be a productive employee in their environment. So uh, what you're talking about really is an integrated partnership, right? between the company and a university, a community college, a, a skills, skills agency. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And a coordinator because, you know, part of the challenge a company has is I don't know who I should talk to and it's a very confusing landscape. I've got a business to run. So can you actually help me coordinate all the activities to help me get the talent I need for my organization? At the same time, for an individual, 
I don't necessarily want to get skills and then not know there's a job at the end of this. So how do we better map an individual and what they're trying to do with an employer has a need? So it's almost like a matchmaking, if Mm -hmm. you will, but on a very sophisticated basis in a very highly dynamic environment that is continuing to change. And I'm assuming that this is a critical part of economic development, particularly states are competing for these mega projects, right, that are going to require significant amounts of middle skill, particularly workforce available. Well, that's a great point. I mean, economic development today is all about talent. You know, if you go back even 10 years ago, it's about what incentives can you provide me in terms of place, in terms of facilities. But the number one question every business asks is, do you have the workforce I need? We can do this because Intel in Ohio is a great example. You know, here's a company making a $20 billion investment with the recognition that the workforce doesn't exist in Ohio today. So what they do? They saw a state because of our innovation districts, because of our ability to collaborate, that they could actually work to build the workforce. So Intel in this case is investing $50 million to start to have our entire collegiate and post-secondary system build the workforce over the next 18, 24 months for Intel. And so how did that happen? Intel told us, here are the kinds of skills I'm looking for, here are the kinds of degrees that I'm looking for. Why don't you help us understand, A, do you have these degrees available today? If not, can you modify certain things in order to enable this? Guess what? We're starting to have a collaboration conversation that might not have traditionally taken place, but then they're also investing the dollars to help us build the pipelines to help support them. We're going to see more of these kinds of relationships happen because in many cases, the workforce doesn't exist. I mean, the people exist, Mm -hmm. but this rewiring that I talked about relative to the demand and the supply, we got to figure out how to help individuals get those knowledge, skills, and abilities to actually be productive in today's workforce, which is, again, a very different workforce than it was even 10 years ago. So it's interesting that it also used to be a decade ago that that a community would get a project and they would be seen as the winner. Now this Intel factory is going, it's it's going up a little bit north of Columbus, yet Cincinnati, Ohio, Cleveland, the entire state are really seen as winners of opportunity in this case. Well, that's exactly right. And we have to look at this in that we're all in this together. Another great example is we recently announced collaboratively that University of Cincinnati, Wright State, University of D- Dayton, Ohio State, Case Western, a number of community colleges, as well as Purdue, Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State have created an alliance to look at how do we leverage one another's capabilities as a region Mm -hmm. to really communicate to companies that we've got the capabilities you need from a workforce standpoint, but we've also got the capabilities you need from a research standpoint to support, if you will, the Silicon Heartland. That drives innovation. Right, it drives these kinds of corporate partnerships, and and that was one of the things that you did an enormous amount of at Cincinnati was really bring in multinational companies into relationship with the university in probably I, th- I think you used the words uncommon ways. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So you know, my background has predominantly been in private industry. And I learned a long time ago, when you're selling a complicated product, you've got to ask a lot of questions and understand what the need is. You can't be prescriptive. And so we took a very similar approach within Cincinnati and the Cincinnati Innovation District to ask to every company, what are your problems? And as Rodney McMullen, the CEO of Kroger shared, you know, you're the very first university to ever ask me about my problems. 
doesn't mean we're going to be able to solve every problem, but the fact that we're asking to understand, mm -hmm. we can then look inward at the university, and there's a high probability, given our size and scale, that we've got the capabilities to be able to do that. We also learned that when we first started talking to these companies, they told us very clearly, you're not easy to work with. One, there really isn't this front door to help us navigate 14 different colleges and 7,000 different faculty. That's a challenge. They also told us that in terms of doing research, because of the intellectual property processes, it's very difficult for them to actually invest money and them not own the research. Mm -hmm. So what do mm -hmm. we do? We overhauled all of this. We've eliminated all the friction from an IP standpoint so that if a company wants to own the IP, there's an easy way to do that, not just at the University of Cincinnati, but Lieutenant Governor Houston adopted our model and rolled out throughout Ohio, Ohio's IP promise. So all public colleges and universities can actually now engage with corporations to eliminate friction and allow them to actually do research with the university in a very progressive way. So again, listening and then doing what we can to eliminate the friction and just like that example I talked about with having to navigate the university, we created a front door. I created an organization within my organization that is really a white gloves concierge service mm -hmm. that does nothing but listen to needs and then works inside the university to get the resources that the company needs to solve their problem. So, so let's take it to the other end of the scale. Does this work as well for the startup as it does the multinational corporation? Well, absolutely. So from an IP standpoint, we also eliminated all the friction inside the university so that faculty could actually commercialize their research as quickly as possible. So when I arrived at the university in Cincinnati back in 2017, we were producing about one to two startups a year. Mm -hmm. There's been close to 90 just in the last four years. And those 90 startups are raising collectively in excess of $100 million as we speak. So we know this model works. We mm -hmm. actually had to build it though, because it didn't exist. But then we also had to work inside the university to say, let us be the easy button to help you get your research out of the lab. Because let's face it, faculty, they're busy people. Yep. They gotta teach, they gotta do research. You know, commercializing research, doing startups is not their thing. We facilitate a process to make it very, very easy for them to do it. But then the other key thing, Tom, that we did was we really illustrate that inside the university. So for entrepreneurially minded students or entrepreneurially minded faculty, they could start to see the university as being a place where they could actually make their dreams come alive. So since a lot of our listeners do work inside universities, uh, I'm going to ask the question that I think is probably on their minds. How did the deans react? How did the academy react because often promotion and tenure are really tied to what I tell you as a dean to do, which is usually your research and your publishing and often not business activity. So how is that tension navigated? So a couple of things. So one, I believe this is an evolutionary process, mm -hmm. not a revolutionary process. So one, we had to do this for commercially minded researchers. Okay. Because if we didn't, they were going to leave our university right, and they were right. going to go somewhere else. Okay. So, so they're the, kind of self-selecting in. Absolutely. Okay. And, and we also recognize that not everyone wants to commercialize the research. And we're okay with that. So part of our message to the deans is we're not here to commercialize everything you do. We actually want to work with the researchers that want to commercialize their research and, and want to make those things happen, want to work with industry because we know everybody else, not everybody does. And we're totally good with that. So we made this an and conversation, not an or conversation. Okay. Now what the university in turn is doing is they're starting to use what we have developed here as a recruiting tool that when they are seeking to recruit commercially minded faculty, they're able to illustrate the good work we've done and say, hey, 
We have no friction here at the University of Cincinnati. This is a great place for you. Because what we hear from faculty at other universities is there is a lot of friction. It's hard to do the things that we want to do. But again, the approach here has been an and approach, okay. not an or approach, but for the ones that want to do this, that want to work with industry, that want to commercialize the research, might want to start a business, we really have created this easy button to make it easy for them to do what they want to accomplish. Wonderful. So, so what can we look forward to seeing uh, accomplished in Indiana in well, the coming years? Absolutely. Well, stay tuned. Uh, my uh, focus here is going to be creating the premier workforce to meet the demands of the businesses that are in Indiana today as, the, as well as the ones that want to be there. So we're going to find ways to better understand what the companies are seeking to do and how we better match the supply of individuals and help them get the knowledge, skills, abilities needed in today's economy. And that also means not just college grads, but for individuals that might have a high school diploma, mm -hmm. how do we help them get the skills? Because there's a lot of jobs out there that are going unfilled that are very technical in nature, but individuals don't know about it. So we're going to work aggressively to really create this network effect, if you will, to help match that. And I believe one of the big things that we're going to be able to do for existing as well as future employers is help build the workforce that's needed for them in Indiana. So stay tuned. All right. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, last question, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So, um, I think being intentional about things and following your passion is really important. Um, and so that's not always easy, but you know when you find it. And if you truly believe in, in what you're doing, uh, change is really, really difficult. And leadership of that change is not always easy. But if you follow the North Star and follow that passion, my experience is good things follow. All right. Well, good things follow intentionality. They certainly have for you. David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you this morning. Likewise. Thanks, Tom. My guest this morning has been David Adams. He is the incoming commissioner of workforce development for the state of Indiana. I'm Tom Osha, and this is The Commons coming to you from AURP 2022 in Toronto. The Commons is a production of Wexford Science and Technology, LLC. Views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests. To view additional material about today's episode or guest, submit questions or story ideas, or to learn more about Wexford Science and Technology, please visit www.wexfordscitech.com forward slash insights. You can subscribe to The Commons on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm your host, Tom Osha. Thank you for listening.